Luke chapter 18 is our Bible reading for today, and you can find it on page 1051 in the church Bibles. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. You might like to read along or just listen carefully to God's word. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show, that, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God, or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What should you pray in a war? Perhaps if you're a person of faith, you found that um, coming to mind over the last year or two, as you've seen reports about Ukraine and Gaza, not to mention Sudan and Myanmar and other places. What should you pray in a war? I mean, obviously, peace, but it's difficult, isn't it? Because wars are so two-sided. Mark Twain, the author who wrote Huckleberry Finn, he wrote wrote another story I came across um, called The War Prayer, where he imagined a church full of people in America in the year 1900 during the American-Philippine War. And in the story, this church is packed with soldiers who are just about to go off to war and all their family, and everyone's praying. And in particular, he puts this prayer on their lips. O Lord our God, help us to tear their soldiers to bloody shreds with our shells. Help us to cover their smiling fields with the pale forms of their patriot dead. Help us to drown the thunder of the guns with the shrieks of their wounded, writhing in pain. And so it goes on. And I would not be comfortable praying a prayer like that. I don't know if you would be. I I would shrink from praying that kind of thing. And in the story, Mark Twain is is aware of this because a stranger comes into church and they they stand at the front and they say, hang on a minute, guys. If you pray this prayer, then you are praying directly for the suffering of the other people on the other side. And so he makes you think about what what should one pray in a war? On Remembrance Sunday, it's possible all we do is take sides again. You know, it's just another year of the world dividing itself up into partisan lines and taking sides all over again. But a Christian, I want to say to you this morning, a Christian prayer to pray during war is for Jesus to return. And it's that that comes through in our Bible reading for today, and it's that I want to talk to you about and urge you to keep doing. A Christian will pray for Jesus to return. They will persist and persist and persist, and they will keep praying that until he does. 
in our section in Luke's Gospel, it is largely about the return of Christ. I don't know whether that's come across if you've been here for the last few weeks and months. He just, Jesus just keeps talking about the day of the Son of Man or the day when he'll be revealed. So some of the highlights from our last few months, chapter 12, keep your lamps burning because the Son of Man is going to come unexpectedly. Chapter 14, there's a great banquet being prepared and the invitations are being sent out. So make sure you've got yourself an invitation. Chapter 16, do you remember the rich man and Lazarus and, Lazarus, and they're separated into two chasms? Or chapter 17 last week, which we also discussed in our home groups, the Son of Man will come and it will be so clear, it'll be like when there's lightning in the sky and you can't miss it. You see, praying for Jesus to return and judge the living and the dead, as we say in the creed, is an indispensable part of what it means to be a Christian. And I think during a war, it comes to the fore even more. Oh, Jesus, would you please come soon? It's quite possible that you're sitting there and um, you think Christians are bonkers. You, you, you think it's a bit nuts. Okay, I'll, I'll go in for the rational stuff about Christianity, but I'm not buying into all this second coming, apocalyptic, day of judgment stuff. If that's you, can I give you two questions to dwell on for homework? If, if I can give you homework. Two questions I think are very useful. Firstly, who do you trust, who do you trust to judge the world? Because it seems to me that Jesus Christ is the best bet by a country mile. There are some really biased judges out there, as we'll see in the story. Who do you trust to judge the world? And secondly, where is the world heading? Because if you just simply take stock of all the walls in the world, then it feels to me like we're blowing each other to bits as a, as a race. But if, as a Christian, you can see that the world is heading in a straight line towards Jesus' coming, where he will gently but firmly grab us by the scruff of our neck and say, let's have some justice, then there is a straight line towards that day, and you can't derail it. So where do you think the world is heading? Because I think it's going to there. The aim of today's story in the Bible is beautifully clear. It's there in verse 1. You don't always get this in a Bible reading, but here it is. I love it when you do. Verse 1, Jesus says, uh, he told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. And I want to urge you to do that today. Always pray, don't give up. And that, as I'll try and show you, I think it's got a real end of time, day of judgment flavor to that prayer. I'll try and explain why I've come to that conclusion. But always pray, never give up praying for that day. What I want to do in the few moments we've got together is we'll, we'll just dwell on this story together and then we'll look at the point of the story. Okay? So we'll tell the story and then we'll look at the, the point of the story. Firstly then, the story. It's the story of the widow and the judge in verses 2 to 5. Jesus said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea... Grant me justice against my adversary. So you've got this judge. Imagine meeting a judge in the UK today. I reckon if you said, what do you do for a living? And someone said, I'm a judge. Well, okay, this is me. I'd go, hmm, that's an impressive profession. You've done well for yourself. You must be a very successful person. And this judge has been very successful. He's got to be a judge, but he doesn't fear God and he doesn't care what other people think. So he's a particularly ruthless kind of lawyer. He's the kind of lawyer who has got to where he's got to by um, not being particularly ethical, doesn't fear God. 
and doesn't care what other people think. So I think he's probably, he'll, he'll represent the person who he thinks he can win with. And if he wins, he'll be very pleased. And he doesn't mind if the, the, the true victim, to all intents and purposes, gets trampled on. And he doesn't mind if the guilty person gets away free because he won the case and he gets his money and goes home. Then you've got the widow. You may know, I mean, widows in those, uh, people in those days, they married young. Mary and Joseph may have married in their teens. So this widow, she could be in her 20s. I mean, you don't have to think of her with a, a walking stick in her old age. But she is very persistent, whatever age she is. It says she, she kept coming to him. So can you imagine her? She, she's there um, waiting outside his chambers one day. And he comes, out, he comes out after a long day in the courtroom and there's this woman standing there. My Lord, I would speak with you. I, I, I have an injustice in my life. Someone's, she's a widow, so someone's trying to probably take her husband's estate and the income from it, and she won't have enough to live on. In those days, no welfare state, um, no great support in place for a widow like that. So my Lord, I would, I would speak with you. I have an injustice in my life. And he says, no, no, go away. And he gets into his chariot and off he goes, home. But then she's there in the morning outside his gate. She's, she's worked out where he lives. My Lord, I really would speak to you about this injustice in my life. No, I told you yesterday, go away. And off he goes to work. But then she's there at lunchtime, shall we say. You know, he's, he's, she's there waiting outside his gate as he goes to get something to eat. I really do need to speak to you, my Lord, about this case. No, he says, go away. But then she just keeps popping up. So if you imagine her at the marketplace, you know, he's reaching for the figs. Oh, what are you doing here? Uh, or he's, he's going to speak to a staff member to see if he can employ. What, what? And you? Why are you here? And on and on and on. Jesus says she kept coming to him. So how long do you think he imagines it went on for? Are we talking days? Weeks? Months? Maybe years? I mean, she does not give up, this widow. That's why she's called the persistent widow. And verse 4, for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. The word attack in the Greek original is literally give a black eye. So something about her persistence made him think she's either going to hit me with her umbrella or it could mean figuratively sort of browbeat, you know, in the, in the same way that we talk about something. You're just going to beat somebody with your request verbally until they give you what you're after. Presumably he impatiently says to her one day, all right, all right, I'll, give, I'll, I'll listen to your case. Come back in the morning and I'll hear you then. And you see the editors in the Bible, if you have it open there, they've given the, the title in bold, the parable of the persistent widow. I've been trying to decide whether she deserves an upgrade of an adjective. Persistent, yes. I think maybe um, relentless. She's she's so relentless. Tenacious. She's got so much grit. Or perhaps nagging. I kind of settled on nagging. I think it it does her justice because she she nagged and she nagged and she wouldn't give up until she got what she wanted. Nagging for justice, if you like. So that's the story. That's the story of the... uh, the judge, and then the nagging, relentless, tenacious widow. What's the point of the story? Well, thankfully, that, this is very clear as well. It's God will bring justice for his chosen ones. God will bring justice for his chosen ones. Jesus doesn't just tell these stories to entertain and amuse. He tells them for a, a reason, and he wants you to know, I will bring justice. Verse 6, And the Lord said, 
listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So you see twice there in that paragraph, God will bring justice. The, the argument is kind of a, a lesser to the greater one. So, you know, if, if that unjust judge was willing to do justice, then how much more God? To put it in modern terms, think of a, a mean old judge. Simon Cowell springs to mind for me. So you know, if, if that mean, rather self-interested man is willing to give someone an audition from time to time and grant them some degree of fame, then how much more would, would a good, kind person be willing to help somebody? So you see the argument. So, and if that mean old judge in that town was willing to listen, then how much more God? Notice he says chosen ones. Might sound a bit odd, but Jesus and his apostles often do that. They talk about the elect, elect or the, the ones chosen by God. So don't be put off by that if you're new to the Bible. It's a biblical way of speaking. It's ultimately comforting if God chooses you rather than you being the one who chooses God in the first place. And notice when, when he says, the son of man comes, and that's similar to the phrase we had last week. Do you remember that? That, that verse really above everything else in this passage is making me say to you I think when Jesus says pray and don't give up this has got this end time feel to it it's because Jesus tells us I've got, I've got in mind a day when the son of man is going to come at the end of time so it's got this apocalyptic flavour to it I'm, he's thinking about the day of justice the day of Christ I didn't want to just want to say that to you so I went, I went digging around and um, I put some extra references on the bottom of your sermon sheet um, so that if you want to be satisfied that this is the prayer Jesus is commending to you, then you can be. Do you see there, it's got a box near the bottom of the sermon sheet. It says, grant me justice is used as a verb six times in the New Testament. Two of them are here, Luke 18. One of them, Romans 12, 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So you see that's talking about God taking revenge. He's actively saying it's not for you to do it. Then Revelation 6.10, they called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. That's a very evocative picture of Christians who have been martyred crying out to God and saying, how long is this going to be? So that is talking about the end times. And then Revelation 19.1-2, alleluia, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. So that too is um, looking ahead to the day of justice. Look, oh, we, could, we could trawl through more, but I'm, tr- I'm trying to show you. I think this is what Jesus has in mind. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That is, will he find people praying, come Lord Jesus? And that's what I think when the Bible uses that word grant justice, it's kind of end time justice. Always pray, never give up praying for God to speed that day. I know it can feel 2,000 years, Jesus. Well, that's a long time since you asked us to pray this and not give up. But I think it's fair to say, you see where it says, and quickly in verse eight. All the guarantees Jesus gives are to say that when the end comes, it will be swift, it will be quick, it will happen soon. As with Noah and Lot last week, it will feel like a a judge's gavel falling in the end quickly. 
So God will bring justice for his chosen ones. The great news is, the great news is, if, you, if you're a Christian and you belong to the kingdom of God, that day needn't hold terror and dread for you. I speak to some people who believe in a day of judgment and justice, but they're so afraid by it because it's this day when everything hangs in the balance and they don't know if they're going to make it. It's because they're living their lives according to whether the good deeds outweigh the bad. If you belong to Christ, then you are a citizen of the kingdom of God already. You have a place laid for you at the banquet already. You are a son or daughter of the Father already. You found the narrow door already. And so you can sing songs like, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. So you have this assurance that you will be found there on that day, safe in him. What does it mean? Practically, let's just delve into a bit of that detail before we finish. Well, I don't think it's hard to understand, really. Always pray and never give up. And I'm, I'm, I'd, I'd commend any sort of persistent prayer to you, but particularly today, keep praying for Jesus' return. The words that really jumped out at me were uh, nag God reverently for this end time justice. Three ideas for what that might look like uh, the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, and Advent, and then I, I bet you've got your own if you're a thoughtful Christian. Firstly, the Lord's Prayer. If you, if you pray habitually the Lord's Prayer, then you, you are praying this prayer. You're doing what Jesus said, always pray, never give up, because it includes that line, your kingdom come. You know that? If you stop to think about it, that is a direct prayer. Oh Lord, please would your kingdom come soon. I want it to come fully, I want it to come finally, I want Jesus to return. So you're, you're praying for the day of justice. Obviously, if you come to church, then we pray the Lord's Prayer. We pray at prayer meetings as well when we, when we meet together for that. And um, can I suggest you make a habit of praying the Lord's Prayer privately if you don't already? I mean, it is the prayer that Jesus taught his followers to say. So I think it's a bit strange if you don't pray it as a Christian. And by the way, I often find that this is a moment for Christians to grow because I'm not just talking about praying the words by rote, just reciting them mindlessly. I'm talking about really, really praying for the for the Lord Jesus to return. In my own family, I, I noticed a real point of growth for one of my children where in suffering, they were able to articulate, Mummy, Daddy, wouldn't it be better if Jesus came soon so that this suffering was over? And we quietly thought, through, through tears, we thought, I think this is a sign of God's work in you. You, you. you understand the state of the world and the hope that we have. So, pray the Lord's Prayer, would you? Um, say the creed as well. That's a, that's a second idea. If you come to church and you say the creed, uh, which we didn't actually do this week, but we do at least once a month, then it has that reference to Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead. And therefore you build into your mental furniture and, and the words that you regularly say, this idea that I do believe this. This is, this is what I think about God and what's the hope of the world. Even if you're not a very formal person, I know some of you, you shun formality and liturgy, and I understand, but don't despise the regular use of those phrases. I, I believe in Jesus Christ who will, will judge the living and the dead. For myself, I have this free app called Prayer Mate, and I've set it so that it pops up with the creed every so often. So from time to time, you'll find me pacing around my kitchen just saying the, Lord, the, 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 the Apostles' Creed on my own, just to remind myself, what is it I believe? Of course, um, 
If you don't fancy an app, we don't fancy that app, you could take your service sheet home when we have the creed on it and you could blue tack it somewhere so that you can just repeat it whenever you want to. So the Lord's Prayer and the creed and then uh, a moment on Advent. Can I suggest you don't collapse Advent into Christmas like the culture is putting pressure on you to do. Have you noticed that Christmas has already started, basically? You know, the, the, all, the, all the ads are on the telly, and I went into Sports Direct yesterday and heard the Christmas music being played, and um, I'm starting to think I should buy those Christmas presents. But in the Christian calendar, Christmas has traditionally, in most cultures, been the 25th of December, with 24 days leading up to it of what's called Advent, and Advent means coming. So can I just encourage you... If it would help, just hold on to those 24 days as well as the one that everyone else is talking about. Because if you can observe those 24 days in some way, use them as a, a, a means of dwelling on the first and second coming of the Lord, then that's a real gift because it's, it's an annual reminder of what, where your hope is. We're going to have a couple of sermons during Advent where we're just trying to bring out this idea that we're looking forward to the second coming of the Lord just like we love the first coming. Um, there are some Advent devotionals out at the moment which are great and you can, um, you can buy them online. They're dead easy to get hold of. So don't collapse Advent into Christmas. And of course, over- overarching all of this, just persist in all kinds of prayer. Look, I do. Just, just pray. Just, just, just keep on praying and, and never give up. In eight days' time, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to take the funeral for Sybil Grant, who was a member of St. Paul's for many years. She was 103 years old when she died a couple of weeks ago. And uh, she was born in Jamaica, she's part of the Windrush generation, came here in the 1950s and spent most of the rest of her life living on Duckett Road, just over there. And uh, she, uh, she was married to Randolph. He died in 2013, so she was a widow. She seems to me like one of these persistent widows in our church she I know she's kept coming to church as long as she could and when she couldn't come to church I know she was still praying because I went to her house and prayed with her the songs at her funeral are going to be very moving they are very much about Jesus's return I shall see the king opening him amazing grace which talks about when this world will dissolve like snow God be with you till we meet again shall we gather at the river and when the roll is called up yonder. So pray, 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 and particularly pray for the Lord's coming. By the way, this doesn't mean, I don't think, that um, you, you can never pray for justice now because you're so taken up with justice then. I think that would be a misunderstanding. You would, you would, you would go too far and exclude the other possibility. A bit like we looked at with the rich man and Lazarus a few weeks ago or with the good Samaritan before that. You know, Jesus is passionate about justice now. He just says, and keep praying for justice then. I came across a lovely story in the week which um, talked about Pastor Kim. And uh, here he is. Pastor Kim is a South Korean pastor and they call him the Oscar Schindler of Korea because he has successfully smuggled out more than a thousand people from North Korea and um, he's brought them to safety across rivers and forests and Vietnam and Laos and it seems to me like he kind of sums all this up rather well he passed to Kim do you believe in end time justice in the day of the son of man he would say amen I do I mean I, I believe it with all my heart that is the hope of the world I think if you probably asked him what what is the best hope of displacing Kim Jong-un he would 
say to you, Jesus Christ is my hope for that. But Pastor Kim, do you, do you also believe in justice now? Will, will you use any means, legal, godly means possible, to help people now? He'd say, yep, I will. I will smuggle people across borders. I will wade across icy rivers. I will personally accompany them through the forest so they don't get attacked along the way. Yes, I will. And it feels, feels to me like here's some, someone who's got hold of that beautifully. This is how the first, go, uh, first verse of one of Sybil's hymns goes, and we'll finish with this before we pray. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks, eternal, bright, and fair, when the saved of earth shall gather, gather over on the shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Let's have a moment and in, in quiet, see what the Holy Spirit has said to you today. And then I'll lead us in a prayer. Oh Lord Jesus Christ, Son of Man, When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. We, we're glad to sing that with all our hearts because of your sacrifice, your love, and your election of us. And Lord, we pray for that day when you would come and you would take this world and bring justice. We trust you to bring careful justice that doesn't ride roughshod over people. We trust you to listen to the widows and the persecuted and the abandoned and the victims. We trust you to take down all those who swagger and occupy office at the expense of others for their own gain. Lord Jesus, you are our best, our only hope for the world. And I pray, Father, we, we, we would be people who always pray and never give up. Would you give us that, that relentless, even nagging spirit of prayer that this widow is described as having? And we long that you would continue it in our day. For the sake of your name. Amen.